Welcome to the Theory of DFS podcast. I'm Jordan Cooper, the co-author of the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. It's a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass you can pick up at theoryofdfs.com. Join with me, uh, a, a very uh, a requested requested guest, because uh, I'm doing some more guest interviews. I asked I asked the community. I got several, several responses back. Uh, probably my, but the person that I would request to be on the podcast, uh, because... Probably the person will. I would not be, I would not be here if it wasn't for you. Like wow. I would not be playing DFS at the level that I'm playing if it wasn't from October 2015. I get my friend in the supporters group of the local soccer team was like, "Do you play on DraftKings? You know the Premier League. You know you're smart, you're a math person, or whatever." So like, why don't you play this game? Like, because I didn't follow really any other sports, and uh, and I got on and I saw it was very similar to like the online poker lobby since I played poker previously, uh, mm. and I started playing the DraftKings Premier League EPL contest October 2015, uh, twenty bucks, forty bucks, and this fucking user, like, god damn it, what I I, I don't I'm building lineups and I'm like. Well, this guy's like almost always at the top and like I'm playing double ups and it's like always has the best double up lineup. And it's like, like, what is, what is he doing that I'm not doing? It's like, I, whoever thought of picking that guy or this guy. And then, but I also would see other sharp players with certain players and certain lineup constructions. And like, I need to study Saramex lineups. I need to, how, how do I get better at soccer DFS? If it isn't the person that seems to be fucking beating me all the time. And it was, you, you got me to download CSVs and study lineups and within, you know, probably four to six months, like, oh, let me check my my double ups with the Sarah. Oh, we're 2v2. We're 1v1. We're like, oh, okay, he went that way. I went this way. You know, did stuff like that. And it's like, okay, I think I'm getting it. And then, of course, I expanded to other sports. But uh, is, is it weird for me to say, Will, that, that, even though, even though you're, I would consider you the greatest soccer DFS player ever, and I think anyone in the lobby would think the same. Uh, is it a bad thing that that I that I got that I got better? Would you have rather just taken my money? No. <laughs> um, well, firstly, thank you for the the very kind and high energy introduction. I, I I've been told I have a very kind of flat, monotonous voice, and I think that's going to contrast quite a lot with uh, your energy in this podcast, but I'll try to, I'll try to raise my game a bit. Um, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's very flattering of you to say that. I, I didn't know that firstly. Um, secondly, yeah, it doesn't bother me. I mean, uh, I'm know. not, I'm not playing. I'm, I'm such a nit. I'm not playing in your games really any, I mean, like, yeah. I'm not in the lobby I mean, even yeah. now playing the thousand dollar head to heads and the three mans with it uh, the Enigma Red Coat eighty five. I mean, like, like me and you, we've never talked before. Occasionally on Twitter, mm. every so often, mm. right? But I mean, as far as DFS, I think like me and you go the furthest back when it comes to, For especially sure. like now that I'm at Roto Grinders doing stuff and I did this course or whatever. I'm still a, I still make most of my money playing DFS, not you know, doing touting type of work, but most okay. people don't realize that, that like, oh, oh, you play soccer DFS. And it's like, well, back in the day, like that's all I put, like, like it was, it was, 
It was me, you, old T, Poop Dollars, oh, yeah, you. Well, you know, the guy... The Keith, guy... Keith hasn't played in a long time. I don't know what happened. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I'd forgotten about him as well. But the guy that I looked up to when I joined was Pew Pew Pew. Okay. I mean, he, was, he must have been around for a bit before I was there because I remember seeing him offering high stakes and just thinking, wow, just imagine if I'm ever playing like $530 head-to-heads or something, right? Right. He's well, been on. He's been on the show before. That. We talked about soccer DFS. Yeah. Okay. Well, and he's still going. Now. Yeah. You know, he he's he's still in the high stakes. He's still playing. Back back then, um, we also had K Cannon played. Right. We we occasionally yeah. got Empire Maker. Occasionally, and then we we'll we'll, we'll talk we'll talk about a, a a year in or whatever. We'll talk about the adventures with Sahil. I'm gonna bring I'm gonna bring yeah. that up. Okay, we'll come to that later. Right. But um, I just, I just, I just want to highlight the fact that, like, like when it comes to to DFS, like you're you're an you're an OG. To me, you're you're an OG, and but it was around for like a year before I joined. I think. Yeah, but I oh, what I only joined October two. It's 2022 now. That's like yeah, seven years. So you joined in 2015. Yeah. When I was already there as well. Yes. Okay. Yeah, seven years. Well. Wow. Okay, yeah, and it was a completely different ecosystem back then as well, obviously, which is, I think, what you want to get into a little bit. Right. Get, did, that, get, didn't you love the days of uh, full point crosses and 11-player rosters? Yeah, well, that was ridiculous as well. I, well, they were two separate periods, right? We had full point crosses for a while, right from the beginning. And the 11-person 11, the 11 roster didn't start until... I don't know, three years in or something when they launched in the UK and they wanted to make the products more relatable to UK fantasy season long fantasy players. Right. Like this, mm-hmm. how many, how many players in a roster was it initially seven or something? Eight? I don't know. I know when I st- when I originally started playing, it was 11. It was already at 11 at that point. Really? Yeah. Okay. So you were, okay. Well that took a bit of time. So I must've been going for about a year, I think before you joined. So I started in 2014. I don't know. Well, you okay. were there when I came. Yeah. Well, you, trust me, you were there, and you were the person that I'm like. I'm gonna every every slate I played got to check Saramex rosters, and then of course you learn the very be- like in the very beginning of me playing DFS. I mean, I'm just I'm really just like oh set piece takers. Oh, that makes sense because the corner kicks and the crosses, and it's yeah. like oh, okay they have floor, and then. Then you know forwards are very high, highly volatile. And then you start learning about oh the standard deviation yeah. of forwards is so much different than midfielders. And then it's like oh now I get the sense of why people why people play cheap fullbacks and like oh okay because the full point crosses and it's oh oh you now now you start figuring out the game. But that takes a couple of months. Yeah, and I remember not even DraftKings have figured out the game for like two or three years, right? Like so, <laughs> I, I I remember. My business partner, so I've always done this with one other guy, um, Dan, and I remember him saying, he's usually the one that's kind of, I'm the one writing the code, doing the analysis, and then he's the one typically building the lineups and doing the entering. And I remember him saying to me about two years in, he's like, well, I think this is the first slate where salary has actually been an issue for us, right? Because the prices were completely, the salaries that DraftKings set we're not reflective of how many points they were expected to score. They're reflective of, are they a famous goal scoring player? Mm-hmm. Right? So in the early scoring system, like when you said, when crosses were one point and goals hardly mattered, 
the highest projected players for us were like the 6,000, 7,000 salary guys that played full back and, and, you know, the Mark Albrightons or the Kieran Trippiers, you know, these heavy crossing full backs or wide players that no one who just followed football casually really knew about. But if you were building projections based on the DraftKings scoring system, were the highest value players. And, but DraftKings just didn't recognize that in their salaries early on. So it took about a year or two before the salary constraint really mattered to us. Like I remember Dan just saying, this is the first week where we can't pick all the players we want to, mm-hmm. right? Because the DraftKings salary system is finally starting to recognize who the more important players are. Right. I, re- I remember, I remember the, like the first or second season, like when I first started and it's like, like I would see opponents that are rostering guys, you know, like the Canes and the Agueros or whatever. Bodies. It's like, yeah. right, right. And I'm just like, can I just play Gilfie Sigurdsson and Dimitri Payet every slate? Like, right. it's like, they're yeah, not on the so- fame, like Swansea Sigurdsson. They eventually they got his price up to like 13,000 or something, but he's like, he's not yeah. even on a side. He's not, he's on the bottom of the table side, but it's just like right. the dude does everything and full point crosses as the playmaker like it's like uh, just just locking eighteen points, no problem. Yeah, I've forgotten and- how I've forgotten how good Sigurdsson was early on. I mean, you say like I'm the OG soccer DFS player. I, I consider like Kieran Trippier possibly like the OG. Well, like, but what you talking about? You're talking about Burnley Trippier. Yeah, Burnley Trippier, right. right back. Yeah, where he was just crossing it for you know, I don't know, twenty three crosses per game. And it was, he was aiming for maybe Chris Wood was no I don't think he was playing then but a very Chris Wood esque alternative Burnley forward player right and it was just him that was their only strategy like give the ball to Trippier and then let him cross it to the tall guy in the box and he was the most valuable player on DraftKings in the first year or something right, right. and he'd be like he'd be like he was still right salary didn't matter he'd be six yeah right <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, and and the and the thing was is that like I I would play once I started to learn that and I I'd, it it became I beca- I got into the 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 low the in the low stakes world of I I come from the poker mantra of like let the other let you let the other players make the mistakes so it's like it's not don't try to outwit anyone just right. just go right down the line and and. Well, talking to how in high stakes it doesn't it doesn't work like that much anymore. Uh, mm. That like I just got in the mo- mo- the just uh, oh it's five it's a uh, it's five game slate. How many favorite set pieces can I just like just jam into my lineup? I look at the yeah. forwards. I go let let me let me act as if goals does don't exist, and let mm. me just play any forward that has set pieces or plays from a wide position for a favored team most likely because they'll have more possession and just jam that in. And then, then you look at double ups or whatever cash games, if you want to call it. And I'd be playing against head to heads where people are playing Diego Costa for 9,800 or something yeah. like, like the, the high yeah. goal scoring. And it's like, if you could the slates where they score two or three goals, like, yeah, they beat me. Right. But it's like, mm. and you like, need, you need them to have those days for them to keep, Playing Diego Costa, right. right, and to keep playing you in head to head. So when it happened, you felt your edge was so strong that even when you lost, you were like, "Well, it's probably a good thing, right?" Cause and, and then when you lost, you lost by like forty fucking points, <laughs> right? And and exactly, which is again what you want, right? Because then the other person thinks 
that you're an idiot or something and, and, and they've crushed you, right? But you don't, you don't get more money for beating someone by 40 points in a head-to-head than you do by beating them by five points, right? But the, the ego is, is probably given a bigger boost by the 40-point win, which is kind of what you want. Right, you, we, you want to embrace variance. But in the, in the higher stakes, the high, once, once, you know, I played maybe two years or whatever, and then building up my bankroll and now moving up to the, you know, the $50, $100 double up. Now, I mean, sometimes they don't even offer those fucking things anymore. The lobby is, mm. the lobby has been, yeah. in comparison to what it was five years ago, much less action mm. in the lobby. Uh, but once you get up there, like, you can't necessarily, like, rely on, like, my biggest leak moving up was relying too heavily on the the low upside defensive midfielder style set piece takers, mm. right? Those Matinho mm. types, like the the Ashley Westwood mm. types, the the Cal Phillips, I don't, I don't know back then, but Juan Mata, you know, like guys that are in like the four or five K range that like outside of taking corner kicks, they really don't do much else. Their goal scoring yeah. odds are very high. They don't that create many chances. And it's like, oh, can I lock in for 4,200? Can I lock in six points? Against the low stakes players, it's like, dude, they're putting in goal scores. It's like, as long as they don't score goals, like they're going to be spending 9K for like five points and I'll just lock this in. But once you move up to to the more skillful players, it's like, mm-hmm. like you have to find a little bit more, uh, a little bit more ceiling. Adding more variance uh, is positive. Like that, that edge between that 2v2 or even a 3v3 with a goalkeeper, because... You have to count the goalkeeper, even though what, 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 in soccer DFS, the goalkeeper is like the most important position for your result and the one that you could predict the least, right? Mm, it's like, like you know that you're going to live and die by the goalkeeper, but good luck for, like, you're, you're someone uh, I noticed like maybe two or three years ago that, uh, I don't know if you do as much anymore, but you, you had, I noticed in your play, it, it, it's, it's, it, it must be weird for you to, that I've studied your play for seven years. So I know the progression of how... It is, it is a bit strange, but I've heard it enough times on Twitter now to kind of get used to it. Right? Uh, um, but, but, but you... But you, you know, what's... Okay, but just on that topic, though, what's weird to me, in a way, what feels weirder to me is that people study my... Study our lineups, and then they go, oh, I can see that you're doing X, Y, and Z. Right? And... That's just not how I think about mm. how I build lineups. The way I build lineups is I just try to project every single player as best as I possibly can and then put it in an optimizer and see what lineup comes out pretty much, right? And so, you know, but on Twitter, they'll be like, I see what you're doing with like, you know, the high price goalkeeper and the low price fullback, you know, crafty work there. Now that I've finally learned that strategy, I can employ it in my own lineup building. But it's just not... That's just a, a, a not anything I actively thought of doing. It's just a natural consequence of of, of our approach, if that makes sense. Like, right. Well, that's but... just how it plays out, right? But people then study the lineups and, and then uh, interpret this kind of rule based outcome, where it's like if this, then that, and then they also suggest that I have those rules in my head as well, which is why I built the lineups in that way. And I don't, you know, I just try to build better projections and let the optimizer figure out what lineups to build. Yeah, but the byproduct of that is that the more, like you mentioned, the high-priced goalkeeper that you tend to play way more, 
To me, it's the mm. it, to me it's not a like you said. I can tell that you're that you you're not you're not going through, and I'm going to select eight players, right? right? I know that you're you're coding, you're projecting every player and whatever. But if you're ending up on a high price goalkeeper way more often than the the rest of the lobby. Yeah. Then I have to guess yeah. that you're projecting goal. You're projecting the the difference between the lower price and the high price goalkeepers. You're just projecting on a wider scale. While yeah. it used to be like sharper players because of the variance at goalkeeper would be more inclined to just pay down, just pay down at the highest variance spot, pay yeah. down at defense in NFL DFS, and a lot of a lot of sharper players still lean towards that side. But and then when yeah. you're going the other way. But that's not saying what's th- that's not saying to me that you're like actively choosing that strategy. What's that saying to me is, oh, maybe we're all projecting goalkeeper a little too narrow between the six K mm-hmm. keeper and the thirty five hundred dollar keeper, and maybe it's much wider. And maybe we should look into the data and see see if that is more yeah. optimal to do. And I found by doing that because I that's what I did, and I found that. For from uh, a cash from a double up type of perspective, like not for ceiling, but just for like like a mean outcome, that the low price goalkeepers get crushed often enough that it's better to not have them in your lineup for double ups. Mm. And if you had to choose between even playing a center back at defender that had a decent enough, you know, the projection didn't come down that much. You much rather just lock in the win points or higher clean sheet points. So it's like. Your strategy of slightly being different than a lot of the other sharper players, like, I know that you're, like I said, I know that you're not, like, actively doing that, but it allows me to look at that and go, what am I missing? Yeah. And to be honest, we do something pretty similar. I mean, for a long time, we've questioned our goalkeeper approach, right? And, And because you get screwed up. You get screwed enough times by your goalkeeper. No matter what goalkeeper you pick, you're always going to get your fingers burned, you know, on a regular basis, whether it's a high-priced goalkeeper or a low-priced goalkeeper. And when we... It's an important part of, of the improvement process. It's an important part of getting better to when you have bad weeks and you want to look at your lineups compared to other people's lineups that you respect. And one of the big differences that always jumped out of us was we were picking a high-priced goalkeeper when other sharp players, such as Redcoat, who, by the way, I think has a very strong case for being the best soccer DFS player out there rather than us. Um, I don't know. You know, I don't know the, the true record, but... Um, so, so do, do you do you know, player. Will, do you know that some people have accused you two of being the same accounts? Of course. I mean, it's... And it's so... And it's not true. I can, I can, I've looked into it, and it's like a lot of people, especially with the soccer lobby being as small as it is, like they don't. Un- and this happens in all the sports. If you're playing three mans, it's all about battling for the for the the money. So like, like when I see you and Redcoat in a three man, I ain't joining. Just like if I see you and Pew in a three man, if I see PSU fans, mm. and it's like like I don't want to be the third person with two sharper players because then it's like we're trading rake at best or i'm slightly losing so it's like you want if you either have one or two strategies for the for like the three man the non-guaranteed lobby is either uh scour for two of threes and four or fives and going 
entrance. Oh, there are people I don't know in here. Even if you're in there or Redcoat's in there, it's like as long as one schmuck that I'd like, I, I, I'm probably better than the schmuck that they'll pay the rake or whatever and I'll join that. Or you the opposite approach and say, I'm going to take over the lobby so that you can't avoid me no matter what. So I just get mm. all the stragglers 10 minutes before lock that take a random $20 three man. You, But in order to fight for that, you have to fight against the other shark. Like there are going to be a lot of slates where you're playing five grand worth of action against you and Redcoat in order to yeah. kind of fight over that. But a lot of people don't get yeah. that that dynamic and they just see the same people in all these contests and go, oh, they're just, oh, they're colluding, whatever. But in, it's easy to see looking at your lineups that there's there's no, there's yeah. no, there's but no evidence of collusion. Really, and also he really... plays other sports that you don't. Yeah, there's that as well. What what other sports is he playing at the moment? I don't uh, no, he's played, he's played NFL. He's played. I haven't yeah. seen him in NBA. I don't remember, but okay. NFL definitely. He's played. Okay, yeah. I, I've seen him. I've seen him in other sports. So I mean, like, I have. No, not only are we not working together, I have no idea who he is. Right, and <laughs> and I want to know who he is. I want to meet the guy. You know, it's fun, and, and there's a there's a lot of history there, and a lot of mutual respect, I think, as well. Certainly, respect from my end. So, I would love to meet the guy. Just, uh, it's never. He's. He has no interest in being a, a public figure, right? No, he's, he's, he's not. He's, he's not on the Roto Grinders ranking. He's not. He's not. He doesn't no. have his account linked. It's like he's an enigma. And when I've asked DraftKings, you know, oh, is Redcoat going to be at this event, or like, does he ever want to meet up? You know, it's always like, a, nah, he won't be there, and no, he doesn't want to meet up. He just wants <laughs> to be very private. And I don't know whether that's like a like a, a business strategy, or it's like his just his nature. I'm not sure, like whether he thinks that he's going to get a lot more head-to-heads, and he's going to be able to fly under the radar and and sort of do more damage if if he's not a known person, or it's more he just doesn't see any value in it, any like you know life value, any kind of like. Well, what if what do you, what value do you see in it? Because it seems like you'd be the type of person as an advantage player, sports betting, mm-hmm. whatever. I mean, like not. No one knows your last name. Of course, they could find it, but whatever. We just mm, will. Mm, uh, like mm. you they also they don't know what I look like either. Do right, them, like, but you yeah. also you did you did some shows with with Tom Devo ten ninety nine way back in yeah. the day. Yeah. It's like what what you don't have what, to like. What do you, I see out of it? No, yeah, yeah I, I think. Um, well, what do I see out of meeting up with Redcoat? Would be just curiosity and fun, mm. right? More than anything, and, and maybe there would be. You know, it seems like we we approach problems in similar ways, given how similar our lineups are. So maybe there'll be some interesting conversations to be had for potential uh, business ideas outside of DFS. I don't know, right? You never know with these things. Um, but just in general, what do I see out of being more public than, say, Redco? I think just, I don't think there's a strong business reason for it. I think it's more just ego, you know, like being recognized. I think it's the opportunity to connect with other people. Like it is quite a, it is quite an insular lifestyle being a DFS player and staring at your computer and staring at code every day. And the opportunity, you know, I'm a naturally introverted guy, but not like to an extreme extent where I don't want to talk to anyone all day and being able to connect with people, other smart people, other nice people such as yourself, Jordan in the community, I get some value out of that. 
I think you're the first person that's ever complimented me on this show. <laughs> okay. As okay, being well, as being a more, nice person. As being from where that came from, you know, I've always respected you. And actually, I don't know if you want to go here at any point, but one of the aspects of your game that I've always looked up to, and actually right now I'm trying to replicate a little bit, is more the game theory side, right? Like all my focus has been on just building better projections, and I haven't really got into ownership and how to deal with that properly. And I don't think that's a big deal in, in soccer DFS. Maybe I'm wrong with that, but the GPPs just aren't big enough to really worry about that too much. Um, but certainly in golf, where I'm trying to carve out more of an edge, you know, I'm really having to think more strongly about ownership and, and how important that is to your bottom line in DFS. Well, I mean, that's that's the core of how I play to begin with. Like, I don't, I, yeah, I don't make I've my own projections. You know, I've, uh, well, on your Twitter, you sometimes post your results in, in different sports, right? Mm-hmm. And and I've, I've followed you for long enough to know roughly what your approach is. And I've listened to enough of your podcasts, I think, to know roughly what your approach is. And it, it's something that I haven't managed to achieve at all yet, and but something I'm interested in. And yeah, I'm going to be studying your lineups soon. Okay. Well, I mean, it's the thing about the soccer lobby is that, like, I wish I, I wish I had the bankroll that I have now back in 2016, 2017, where mm-hmm. we got a lot more action in the lobby. I mean, like, like I yeah. if you notice, I, I play, like, pretty much EPL Saturdays, occasionally Champions League. It's like there's just not enough money in it right. to to dedicate that much because like back in the, like on a Saturday, sometimes of course I'm a nit. So I'm not the type of person that's like, I'm going to play thousand dollar head to heads against you for the sake of getting volume in. It's like, if there's no good action, I just, that I don't have as much money yet on the line. Right. Yeah. You know, Evaldo Ibasso, like I, yeah. I've hung out with him before. He's, he, he, he's like the CFO of a, of a hedge fund. He makes over a million dollars a year Really, he's 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 a good player also, but he plays for the pride of winning. So it's like he had, he. I mean, the joke with him is that if it's and he follows the MLS more than than EPL, and it's like mm. he'll he'll get ten thousand dollars and he'll take on he'll ask me, do you want to play five hundred dollar head to heads in MLS? I'm like, I ain't playing MLS contest. There's like no fucking liquidity. I ain't playing against yeah. you, right? So like, like now I find it a struggle for for like cash games at least. Right for double ups, triple ups, you know that type sure. of stuff to get like a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars worth of like normal action. Yet, like back in the day when I was playing like maybe three or four hundred bucks a slate, it's like, dude, I could fill up like five grand and be like, well, that guy sucks, and this guy, it, like, I could take advantage of this. And the double ups were bigger, and it's like, oh yeah, hundred and fourteen man double ups or whatever. Like now, it's kind of hard for me to invest that much time, I'll build five GPP lineups or something where I'll play the, you know, even like the 275, like 68 man contest. You take a look at that payout structure and it's like, dude, you come in like 11 place. You don't even double your money. And it's like, mm-hmm. what am I, what am I playing for? Have you gotten to the, it doesn't seem like you have, but like you only play soccer and PGA. Like, yeah. Do, have you gotten to like the, the main difference between the amount of, volume slash return from five years ago versus now like has to be dramatically different yeah i'd have to look at the the numbers 
there's certainly the sense that the cash game situation has got a lot worse, right? Like there's just not as many head to heads. There's not as many double ups, like you said, and 50 fifties. I know last year we had a pretty good year. I think our best year in terms of soccer DFS profit. I don't know how in terms of volume it compares to five years ago or whatever, but I don't think we were, we were maxing out five years ago to the same extent we are now where we're just entering everything as, you know, getting in as many entries as we can bar like some high stakes, three players with red coat, which we would probably refrain from. But how about the one fifties? I mean, like the contest that like these, we get some of these contests on Saturdays where it, I mean, it's the payout structures that I hate as, as a nit. 10,000 to first and like, like a hundred bucks to 10th place. Just, I mean, like, it's like this yeah. steep curve. Yeah, I see a lot of, I see a lot of hate of, of, of that on Twitter. And I just, I try not to think about it too much, to be honest, because I don't, I don't really feel like it's something I can affect or control. I mean, I think you're closer to the DFS ecosystem and maybe you have the ear of a few guys at DraftKings so you could have more influence over that but it, ha- it hasn't um, tr- trust me it hasn't it hasn't worked the the, the point yeah. that i'm making is that that like maxing like playing as many like plus ev lineups there has to be a tipping point where the payout structure is so top heavy that like if you just simulated just ran just variance like you go broke too often like you just you just don't make enough return now. Right. I'm I'm saying this as a theory, because I'm not I'm I'm looking at it from a, a mathematical approach, not an a realistic like doing it. But I see you in contests mm. where you know it's a fifteen dollar entry, and you're playing like twenty two fifty in in entries for a contest that pays ten k to first, and mm. if you come in one lineup in fourth place, that's not even twenty two fifty, and it's like yeah. how. How profitable can that be? But from the look, the look, the look on your face, maybe you come in first and often enough that that makes up no, like that. Know. That's so, what I'm so saying. It's like, anyway. like, yeah. is there a point where playing the max amount of entries is not the optimal where playing somewhere in the middle, like you get to a Definitely, certain point where you there, can't there make plus EV lines at some point, right? Like, right. If, and if we want to talk about the original DraftKings, there was no max entry limit, right? Hmm. Like back in the day, you, there was no 150 cap. You could just enter as many lineups as you wanted. And then of course, there's going to be some point at which you, the marginal extra lineup is going to be negative EV and, and you shouldn't enter another one. I just haven't put in the time really to figure out where that is. And our results are good enough over time to suggest that, okay, maybe we would have made more money over the last five years if we'd stopped at 120 or 110 on average, right? But in order to figure that out, it's going to take me more time that I could probably better spend on just improving our projections, right? Or or working on a new project. And so I've never really got around to actually trying to figure that out. And and if we were losing money, um, then it would be a greater, it would create a greater need to actually figure that out. But so far things, apart from like the last six weeks, which have been terrible, um, so far things have gone well enough to not like justify spending a load of time trying to figure out where that marginal negative lineup comes in. 
No, that, that makes sense. If your results show that you're still profitable, you don't fix what ain't broke, right? I, I mean, I mean, yeah, I, they show that we're profitable across the 150 lineups. Or it shows that and max entering is a profitable strategy for us, right? That's what results show. But it doesn't necessarily show that it's the most profitable strategy for us. You know, maybe if we, you know, if we split tested doing only entering half what the max entry cap is versus entering all of what the max entry cap is. Maybe we would have come out with a with more profit. I don't know, do, but it just doesn't it doesn't seem important enough to, to figure out at this do, stage. In in your coding, do you do contest based simulations? No, like you did like really... it like it, what what I'm what I'm asking for people that may not know. Do you do something projection wise where you compare the actual to like what would be the simulated result of your lineups? Versus what actually happened to the lineups that were in the so contest. hard to build that because you'd have to get the correlation right between all the DraftKings metrics, right? Like coming up with a mean projection, an average amount of points is relatively simple, but actually figuring out if a guy makes seven crosses in a game, what should his fouls draw be? You know, like, because if he outperforms his crosses, is he now more likely to outperform his fouls drawn as well? Or like, if he doesn't get a goal, is he likely to make more crosses because the team is, the fact that he hasn't scored means the team is more likely behind. So they probably have more possession. They're probably crossing the ball more. Like, to generate a good simulation of DraftKings soccer matches you know football matches with DraftKings scoring system would just be so complex um that it would take more time again it's one of these things where the time it would take to do it wouldn't justify what you'd learn from it ultimately probably right because that, that's what Unless i you could think of other uses of it right well i mean i've 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 been one to say i mean it's i don't mean it literally but soccer projections are not the same as like NBA projections. Like, like that the the butter. I, what I call it the butterfly effect. Like okay. to me, soccer has the biggest butterfly effect of all the 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 daily fantasy sports. Butterfly effect meaning where one event could dramatically change the entire course of the game's play. One, a lineup change, a formation change, right? We see like, oh, okay, well, so, you know, that Liverpool has a Champions League game and now they're running out, you know, like a B lineup. It's like, well, how does yeah. that affect the other team? And then let's say we have we have games where, oh, Man City are favored by God knows what, how much. And the, the underdog scores first. And it's like, well, that dramatic... now that dramatically changes like the game state of how Man City are going to play, how Norwich, whoever's playing, like if they, if the underdog scores first in those types of situations, typically it's like, it's going to be 11 man behind the ball and, and Man City are just going to like, they're going to create like 74 chances now because they're just going to be pummeling up. And De Bruyne is going to have 23 crosses. Right, exactly. And we see with like Mark Albrighton with Leicester. Like it's like, like the best, whenever you roster Albrighton, it's like you want the other team to score first, right? Because then next thing you know, he's just bombing up and just crossing every every single time. But like, exactly. if you if you don't know the, the, like we're talking about actual soccer, 
And I'm one that always says, you don't need to watch the games. You don't need to know nothing about the sport. Just trust the projections mm. or whatever. But not all projections in soccer are created equally because at Roto-Grinders, you know, we have soccer projections. I don't do them, but uh, PSU fans and Fear My Turtle do them. Okay. Uh, so and they're, they're respected uh, DFS soccer players. Yeah. But you'll see like, uh, you know, oh, a forward with an 11 point mean projection. And I look at that and I go, this guy never scores 11 points, right? It's Patrick Bamford. It's like, it's three or it's 18. Yes, the mean is 11. And then you'll look and compare that to uh, uh, like a Gabriel Martinelli at a similar projection for 11 and be like, well, now he could score 11, right? Like the Nicholas Pepe, you know, like so, someone like that, where it's like, they're not as goal dependent, but they look from a mean projection, they look exactly the same. But the range of outcomes for the players are so much different compared to other sports like basketball or even football with touchdowns that right. that I what I would say is like projections don't matter. They matter. But like you almost need to know like the context of that projection and GPP lineups where well, you would rather if you had a choice between two eight point mean projected players. It's like, well, GPPs, you should play the ones with the higher standard deviation. The, the guys that maybe take three shots a game versus the guy that gets to eight points through tackles one or something like that. But to a lay person, that doesn't really show in the numbers. And do, do uh, you, I mean, you if you're working with mean projections, that's one thing. But I I can tell from your lineups that that you're working with some some amount of of, of no, we try to express variance as well, right? right? And so, and then you also got to think about correlation between players as well. So, like, if you've got, um, I don't know who your example was of like uh, Patrick Bamford, right? If he if he does get twelve points, you know, does that mean the other Leeds players are going to also overperform their expectation or perhaps underperform, right? Because once they get it, once one person gets a goal, perhaps leads sit back and they don't have as much possession and the fullbacks don't do as well or something. I mean, certainly the goalkeeper might now be projected higher because leads are more likely to win given mm -hmm. Patrick Bamford's got a goal. But yeah, you need to think about not just the variance or the correlation within players and, and their potential to either go big or small but also that the effects on the rest of the lineup that you've built. And I think that's particularly important in showdown, right? With showdown GPPs, you're trying to pick that group of players that have the chance to all do well at the same time. And that their, their point, if one outperforms, the other's more likely to outperform. And all the other players in the lineup are either more likely to outperform or just are less, or hopefully not more likely to underperform because Patrick Bamford's got a goal. So, yeah, this is a, it's a really hard problem to solve. Um, trying to build, like you asked earlier, Jordan, like trying to build an actual simulator of all the possible results. Across seems, like it seems impossible to me. Match. It's impossible. So you have to come up with, I mean, this is where you do have to kind of come up with rules, right? You do have to come up with like a, if this, then that situation. And try to make them as sensible and as data informed as possible, but realize that you're still going to be missing some stuff. Do you, uh, what, after reviewing a slate or looking at sharp players' lineups, I mean, mm -hmm. on certain slates where you're significantly different than the field, 
are those slates where you're more likely to chalk it up as like, well, your projections were better and everyone else got lucky. I mean, I'm I'm fra- I'm, I'm phrasing this really wrong. If you remember the slate, no, I'm not no, saying no. specifically. You remember the ma- that uh, this is like you said. The past six weeks were horrible. There, there was a slate like I think two or three weeks ago with uh, with Chelsea, right? Okay. With Mount and Alonso, and like you didn't have either player in in your mm-hmm. main whatever you know cash lineup type of thing. And I just thought it was so odd because like like everyone everyone else did, and like yeah. you. Obviously, they both crushed, and you were all the way at the mm-hmm. bottom. But it was one of those times where, like, I look at, I go, "Is are we are we all, like? It's it's one thing yeah, to like I, when I, when I, things I, are like forty percent owned. Like, do yeah. you know? Do you do you go back and go? You were Definitely. right. Okay, that's we that's do, what I'm asking. We do review it, and like the other thing that I look at is not only are the players that everyone else was on that we weren't on that did well. But were there some players that were like 3% owned that we picked and did badly, right? That's like a more concerning thing. Like if we've picked like a defensive midfielder for like 4,600 and no one else picked him and he got 0.8 points or something, right? Now we've got to think about, okay, are we happy that we picked this guy? Like does it, when we review it and look at it, does it make sense that we picked him? Or is there some potential bug in our code or some potential improvement we could make to avoid picking him in those kind of situations in future? And there has to be some of that for sure. Um, If you're just like blind to uh, everything that's going on around you or you're not learning from other people that are trying to solve the same problem as you, I think you miss out on a lot of potential improvement. But you can definitely overcompensate in that direction as well. You can spend too much time trying to uh, figure out exactly why you lost this slate when it probably 95% of it is actually just you got unlucky. Right. Well, I'm, that's why I'm, I'm talking about incidents where it's not like everyone's kind of around 30% and we're dealing with like three V3s. It's like, okay, I saw that or whatever. It's one of those situations like, like I always tell uh, from an ownership perspective to like newer DFS players, especially if you're playing mm-hmm. cash games, that if you go into your double ups and you and you, all the ownership gets unlocked and you have three single digit owned players and you don't have three players that are eighty plus percent owned, yeah. Like Occam's Razor says, you fucked up. Yeah. Although five years ago that wasn't true, right? Like, like or seven years ago that wasn't true because no one had any idea who to pick. And so learning anything from ownership figures and you picking some guy, like if you pick Robbie Brady and he was only 5% owned and he got 23 points, you probably didn't do make a bad pick, right? Like mm-hmm. he just, it's just people hadn't figured out how to play the game, but now there's a lot more consensus, obviously how to play the game. It's the same with PGA TFS as well, I think. Um, so yeah, you can, you should trust ownership figures a lot more now today than you than you perhaps needed to seven years ago and you can learn from where you're different from everyone else a lot more today than you could seven years ago i think a lot of the the edge now in soccer uh, gpps is mm. one that that game theory element and also yeah. also people not use utilizing correlation enough mm. Uh, especially since they once they added the uh, the chances created or the shots assisted, like okay. like the more uh, 
dominant a team is, the more DraftKings points they can score. Even though they, when they nerfed crosses and then they added the, the, the shots assisted, I theorized that like this makes favored teams, the more favored they are, the more possessive they are, the more attacking they are, the higher of a ceiling they have, regardless of the goal scoring odds. And it makes it more likely that correlated players from those teams are going to hit their ceilings more often. So, like, I try to find, like I said, I'm not doing as analytical of an approach that you have. You have your code, your projections. You're trying to do that better than anyone else, which you've proven to have been able to do. Uh, But I lean more towards the size of, like, intuitively, like, going, like, okay, well, if I'm going to pick this goal scorer, that is, uh, their anytime goal scoring odds are way under, way higher than their price. In a fifty-eight hundred dollar guy with a forty-six percent chance of scoring, for their ownership or whatever, it's like, well, that like you said before, when that guy scores, like there's going to be a potential assist, right? So say, like, where can that assist come from? Like, well, it could come from a lot of times it's coming from a wide area or a set piece or something like that. So it's like, oh, we'll pair the forward with someone that is more likely to, a center back ain't doing it most likely, a defensive midfielder probably ain't. So you pair with that, and then you go, well, if that team is up one, they're more likely to keep the clean sheet. They're more likely, so it's like, so I've gotten used to like goalkeeper, defender, midfielder, forward, or two forwards or whatever from one team, and then looking for a two nothing, three nothing. Like in your head, visualize what this game looks like and who benefits from that. And then there are also games where it's like, yeah, I think this is the type of game where no defense gets like the the total's high. It's a, it's a Leeds, it's a Leeds anyone game. I mean, it's a Leeds, mm, uh, uh, right? It's a it probably a two two three two type of game. It's like, mm. well, I'm just gonna take two guys, two midfielder slash forwards from both the teams, no defenders, and then like the chalky, everyone's playing Liverpool thing. I'm just gonna play the defensive like stack of that and go like. Like maybe Van Dyke scores on a set piece and then Salah and Mane don't come through. They win one nothing. Mm-hmm. So like kind of like using combos of like like correlated For pieces sure. that sure. fit yeah. together. Because I've studied your lineups and you do that type of stuff. But you also, because you're coding in like ranges of outcomes, you also get the, the situations where you're playing a defender against a forward where like the it's negative correlation for the clean sheet. But like we talked about before with game states... Well, that forward scores, this fullback is going to start bombing forward and attacking more. That's the only thing that I have no, like, that. to me, that's my blind spot of, like, I take a look at goalkeeper defender as, like, a a thing. And, like, if a defender isn't eligible for the three-point clean sheet, like, I don't want to play them. Like, and you're more likely to have this 4,200 Kamara or something for Watford. He puts up 12 points in a game where it doesn't need the clean sheet. And you're sitting there going, yeah, I would have, I just hand building five lineups. Like, like, I just, I just don't get there. Uh, But that has to be, I mean, like, I'm assuming that's part of the code because you're weighing the negative correlation there, but for the clean sheet, but there's a positive correlation to if this other team scores two goals early, like the, the, the opposing team is just going to go balls to the wall trying to come back. And that's going to raise the ceiling of all of their players. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Another way to think about it is like, if you're going to win this GPP, you need the defender to score 12 points, 15 points, like you said, right? How many, how often 
when a defender scores 15 points, 12 points, does it, do they get the clean sheet as well? Does it require them to get the clean sheet in order to get 12 points, 15 points? I mean, probably not heavily, right? It's not heavily contingent on them getting a clean sheet to get 15 points, 12 points. It's only three points they get from it. So, yeah, in, in that situation, I don't think maybe the correlation is so much to worry about. The negative correlation is so much to worry about in picking an opposing forward. Um, but that's not to say that I've solved it, and I know for sure. These are just seat of the pants, maybe using a little bit of data to try and inform the decision a bit better, and then just coding in those rules into the lineup building process and, and then forgetting about it. And hopefully the results go well and you can just go and focus on something else. Right. Well, I mean, we've seen with negative correlation, I mean, in, in the past where the nuts was uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and the opposing keeper. Right. Right. We've had yeah. those games where he takes 11 shots, scores three goals, and, the, and he, the, he's against the cheapest and it, keeper yeah. and the cheapest keeper puts up 14 points even yeah. conceding. I, I think, though, yeah, but I think picking a forward and opposing goalkeeper is sufficiently negative not to justify ever doing it, even in those rare Ronaldo cases, right? I remember I remember the Champions League, one of the Champions League finals where the person that won the GPP was like Gareth Bale coming off the bench and yep. scoring two goals, right? <laughs> and it's like, okay, how would you, like, correlate that one? So, like, okay, what's the game state there? It's like Real Madrid don't score or something. I can't remember what the game state was exactly, right? So they then have to bring on Bale and then he would score to end the match in 90 minutes and blah, blah, blah. I mean, yeah, it's going to happen one in every thousand, one in every whatever, but it's probably not worth ever picking subs for that reason. I don't know though. Maybe it is worth it. So you never pick subs in showdown? Correct. But that's because we've never built a model to project sub points, right? Like, we don't have projections for subs, so it's not an easy adjustment to make to suddenly put them in there. Like, if if we did have a reasonable way of projecting sub points, um, and it, our, our code was already set up to do that, then I might think more strongly about whether you should have a few GPP lineups where you put in some goal-scoring subs. But, again, it's like, you know... Is it worth doing? the... Yeah, is the juice worth the squeeze? Do you do you project player minutes? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so you so you project the start. Okay, that's very similar to Roto Grinders. We project the, the starters minutes, but not this. It's not like like everything has to equal what uh, what ten outfits, six hundred, nine hundred minutes. Like it's not like we'll project someone for yeah. seventy five minutes, but it's not like we're giving those fifteen minutes to some sub out of the, on the bench. It's just that guy's projected for seventy five. Yeah, we don't try and round it off like that. Uh, we so, don't have sub minutes. Okay, so so going going back to the the, the soccer lobby, the, the very interesting soccer lobby where everyone blocks one another. So, yeah. <laughs> that, I mean that's one of also the main reasons. Like all my ten blocks on 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 DraftKings are just to like so I don't prevent like auto matching against like you and and Red Code and Pew. Red Code, yeah, it's and it and it's also the type of thing where. Uh, like red, like I have to block red code because he'll we, he will take all my games, like like there's some people that I don't have to block because we just bank, just like what's the point type of thing. It's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. like typically we withdraw by the time the auto match happens, but sometimes it does, and whatever happens happens. But there's also some people that are like give no fucks, right? Just 
Just I don't care. It's like like dude, so, we're just yeah, trading. Like I'm looking at my roto tracker. It's like we're trading. DraftKings won. We we both lost mm. money. Like this is this is pointless, but they'll still do it. But back in the day, uh, I, the biggest boost uh, to the soccer lobby was when Sahil was you know made a ton of money in the major sports and enjoyed yeah. soccer, and he freely admitted on interviews back then that he wasn't very good soccer DFS player, and he just he just enjoyed mm-hmm. soccer and enjoyed mm-hmm. playing. Uh, that those were the days where I wish I had the bankroll I had now that I did back then, because like, like that's when they started the interleague stuff. The mid, like they yeah. started adding that type of stuff and uh, uh, little little birdie birdie in the in the gra- through the grapevine is that that probably what those slates the league when they started La Liga and they added like then they made it interleague with the French like whatever games were on that day. Uh, one of the main impetuses of them adding those slates was because of the action that was in the lobby because of Sahil. Sahil, right? So can can you can you? Uh, with, with, I mean, we're not we're not disparaging the person, like, but he wasn't. He, he no, he wasn't very well, good. Like you said he did very well in other sports, right? Right. He he he's didn't see soccer DFS as a as a way to make money, really. He just saw it as a potential form of entertainment, I think. Um, but like you said, you wish you had the bankroll you had now back then to take proper advantage of it. For us, it was similar, but also we were just too conservative, right? We had too much respect for the guy because of all his tales of doing so well in other sports. And when we saw him turn up in the lobby, we initially probably blocked him straight away. I'm like, oh my God, it's Sahil, right? And he's the god of DFS and we shouldn't go anywhere near him. And then we started looking at a few of his lineups and we started going, wow, he's picked this guy, right? And and what can we learn from this? You know, we're like studying his lineups in the same way that you studied our lineups thinking, wow, like, okay, you know, here's this maths genius or whatever. And, you know, he's picking, you know, he is picking uh, Diego Costa in cash, right? Right. He's he's so, playing three. He's not only picking. He's typically playing like three goal dependent forwards. He's like he's like Vardy, yeah. Costa, like. Back, yeah, and I'm looking, yeah. going like that's like, dude, if you don't, if these guys don't score, we're we're gonna, I'm gonna beat you yeah, by like 48 I'm, I'm, I'm points. Looking, when the match starts, I'm just waiting for an update on my phone to say that Diego Costa scored and Jamie Vardy scored, right? Because Sahil's a genius and he's the oracle, and it's just inevitable that these guys <laughs> are gonna score and he's gonna win everything. And then, like a couple of weeks of this, we're like, you know what? He's just, I, whatever he's doing doesn't seem to be working, and we can't make sense of it. So maybe we should start taking him on a bit, right? Maybe we should take a few of his head-to-heads. And he was willing to take play 10k head-to-heads, multiple of them in the same slate. And so we, but we still weren't too confident. You know, we were still too conservative. And we took a few. We won a bit started increasing it a little bit, slate by slate. And then eventually we were taking him on for, I think, 20K, 30K a slate. Um, But it was too late by that point. He'd started to realize this was too much of a black hole of DFS DraftKings balance for him. And the head-to-heads sort of quickly dried up. And our, our mistake was just not acting 
quickly enough. You know, there were, I think there were people that made more out of him than we did. Probably Redcoat, for instance, who isn't as conservative as we are. And we just we just waited for too much confirmation, too much reassurance that actually he was a fish and not a super sharp before we acted. And I think that's a you know a lesson that we've tried to take on to just other sports betting opportunities that have arisen since then. You know, if something something looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck and it walks like a duck, you know, you, you shouldn't have to wait until it smells like a duck as well before you act, right? You you can't wait for like that 100% assurance before you act on a really good opportunity because by then the opportunity could be gone. And that was the case with Sahil and we try not to make that mistake with other opportunities since then and in future too. Well, a lot of times in DFS, like, like amateur players, like recreational casual players don't understand like, like having a big advantage in a head to head could, I mean, like people think that like, Oh, if you're, if, Oh, you, if I played some random person off the street, like, Oh, you'll, you'll beat them 95 times out of a hundred. It's like, no, I'll beat them like 70 times out of a hundred. Like, yeah. like even there, as long as they use all their salary and in golf. Yeah. And in golf, it's like 55 out of 100. right. Like if they're the biggest fish out there, they're still going to beat you 45% of the time. As long as they're using all their salary in golf. And right. As long as like in soccer, players. like, like for instance, in soccer DFS, if someone used all their salary and played starters, right? Like your lineup, like at you're, I'm at best seven, maybe seventy. I mean, that may be even be high, but I'm just using. Maybe yeah, I have a sure. seventy, seventy thirty or something. So like, mm. like when we when we the difference between like what at a seventy thirty, you could tell like when you say the duck, the duck example, of mm. like you could typically tell at that point like after like one or two slates of like I've never seen this person in the lobby before. I could see their lineup the first time and go. Yes, more likely than not, this person has doesn't know what they're doing, right? Yeah. Like, I'm more likely at the 70-30. But, like, when you're, like, 60-40 or even, like, 58-42, like, sometimes it's, it's, sometimes you have to wait. Sometimes it's, like, sure, sure. like, yeah. yeah, you took, you, you went a weird 3v3. I didn't even think about this player in cash, but, like, he has upside and, like, yeah, he scored 11 points because he got a couple of chances. I can see how that fits in with that, like, and and but you start looking at their lineups and going, like, if they start beating you by a couple of points or you beat them by, a, like, it's hard to tell sometimes at that length. And that's why I viewed, like, your lineups even uh, currently in playing. Like, I always thought, because compared to the rest of the lobby, I'm more likely to see something weird and I'm not weird in a bad way. Just though, like it's it's more likely a weird construction. It's more like like mm. I come from the perspective of like can I let me jam in as many points as I can. So it's like like if I could get up and play the you know the, play play uh, like Bruno Fernandez or some like high level set piece taking mid like James Ward Prowse. Can I jam in Madison? I don't know Madison now, but like in the past, it's like can I get William? Can I get Guilty Sigerson? Can I get Dimitri Payet? And then at the end of the day, I'll play the $2,900 fullback in order to just jam all these guys in. And like, typically that wins 58, 60% of the time against that's normal lower stakes people. But like your lineup sometimes are like, wow, if, 
yeah, I, I prioritized getting Trent Alexander-Arnold in for 9,200. But, like, I look at Saramek's lineup and he doesn't have Trent Alexander-Arnold. He's 70% owned mm. and he doesn't have Trent Alexander-Arnold. But then I see it's like, well, if Trent Alexander-Arnold doesn't get, like, 16-plus points and he only gets 10, like, Saramek's lineup actually has a high, has a high, would, mm. has a higher chance of beating me because you're now able to get some $5,200 midfielder that isn't like my $3,300 please get me four points type of midfielder. And I look and I go, like, I know you don't do it consciously, right? You're not building that like that. But I could I could see how the way that your, your coding would work of like, of what, like, instead of looking at Trent Alexander's mean projection, that it's looking at a little bit wide, a little bit, kind of a little bit of a range of outcome and going, which is more beneficial to have the midfielder that could easily just end up with one point or get two guys that are, could reasonably end up at 10 points more often that all you have to do is avoid the Trent Alexander-Arnold ceiling game. And when you don't, when he gets 33 points, you, you're, you're fucked. But it just doesn't happen often enough that you that I look at your lineup and go, yeah, that's kind, that's kind, of, a, that's kind of an ingenious construction that not saying that it's better than mine, but it's competitive. Like, it's like, I understand why this is good. And I understand why if you're playing a ton of head to heads, you're going to be different enough that when you win, you're going to sweep the entire lobby. Mm -hmm. I think that's also why we haven't had to worry too much about ownership and game theory in the GPPs. Like, because our approach is perhaps different to others. We're like naturally contrarian, right? Mm -hmm. We've never had to like actively not pick a um a really high owned player because it's happening often enough naturally just through our code but That's also also your your gpps that that's uh well you're the guys typically i mean this is from me studying not every slate but like a lot of slates on your your large field builds that typically your your lineups are leveraged the way that i like if there is a forward that is over-owned, you typically have less of that forward, naturally. Mm. Like, you say you don't doing it on purpose, but it's the type of thing where it's not being projected as much as the field is. Like, you you yeah. end up with those 6% owned, you know, underdog forwards right. on a pick'em game more often yeah. than, like, oh, everyone's playing, everyone's playing, you know, Salah. Right. Mm -hmm. And Salah is on a three game slate, like 58% owned or something. And you'll, in your 150 lineups, you'll have like 20% of the guy, but you'll have like all these other forwards in all these other games are like 10%, 12%, 8%. And you'll be like double on all of them and have combinations that don't have Salah. And, it, and I look at that and I go, it's hard for it. A lot of slates, it's, it would hard, be hard for me to tell that you're not even using some type of, game theory like yeah. to be that's less good. on glad, this I'm and glad you have that impression yeah yeah because we don't that's not something that we do deliberately so it's nice that it, the, that effect is happening enough naturally right but sometimes i get confused because sometimes the guys that i think are over owned you have like 80 percent of and i'm like okay yeah but but it's the type of it's the type of thing just like an you don't play nba where NBA, since it's so much more of a normal distribution, like it's it's less so much less variance that a guy at like 4K that's going to get 40 minutes, like most likely if he's 88% down, he's still under owned. Like like the dude should be like 90. Imagine, imagine, you know, like, I mean, I don't even know if there's a soccer example 
Imagine Kevin De Bruyne at 3K as a midfielder. Right. And just like, why shouldn't, like, if he's 77% owned, you'd be like, oh, I got to fade the 77% owned. Like, no, he'd be in every one of your lineups because he would project yeah, for like 17 points. Differentiation from somewhere else. Right, right. But I just, I, I don't, that's why I said, I don't know if it's a compliment that you're not doing it on purpose, but your lineups still adhere to yeah, <laughs> typically it's, it's, that uh, type of thing. Yeah, it's complimentary and reassuring. Like it's not necessarily a compliment, but it's nice to, to know that that impression is, is you're getting that impression from our GPP lineups. Right, it's just that I'm not building 150 of them. Right. I just, I, I go in one round like, okay, like I'm going to play, you know, $9,500 Ivan Tony. If he beats me, then fuck it. He beats me. Why is he this price? I have no idea. And why is he 28% owned? Right. I look at that and then I look at your lineups and I go, okay, well, you, you don't even have much of them. So it's like, yeah, why should you? Because I don't know what any projection system would have $8,700 Brian and Bueno, right? On this past, I'm just going by this past late. It's like, like even now, it's seven years in, seven plus years in. Sometimes the dra- the DraftKings pricing is just like, I don't know who came up with some of these things. Some slates. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Will, uh, the future. I, I mean, you, you seem to be playing like you seem to be playing soccer DFS. Like, just it's yeah, it's my thing that you know you and your partner play, and you know you do the the sharp. You know the the charts on Twitter that I that I like. You used to do that for soccer a little bit, right? Now you do it for yeah, PGA. Yeah. Uh, I know you're getting into more sports betting stuff, but I mean, do you do you? I, from all intents and purposes, from what I could gather, is that you're to you the DFS ecosystem is like you're 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 at the top of the pyramid. You can give a fuck what the the bottom of it is. Like you're, I'm playing 150 lineups. I'm playing all the head to heads and just. Are you just, just, you have a system, it's a push button type of thing and just do you let it, you let it run and is there any view of, of like pivoting? Like, is there, is there a better use of the money that you're making in soccer DFS to be put elsewhere? Is that the reason you got into PGA? And then why wouldn't you get into like a more liquid, softer market like NFL? Like I would, NFL would be, the most casual, most amount of dead money in there, the bit most liquidity, yeah. like instead, is it that obviously you start, you start with what you know, right? Cause I mean, that's what, what I started from. I knew soccer. Uh, is it that sports betting offers you higher ceiling opportunities because you see much more upside there or are you just like, is it a matter of coding and model building that, it's like, well, I, I did soccer, I know PGA, and it's like, instead of the, the the squeeze, the juice and the squeeze, it's like, is it worth trying to do NFL when there's so many other, you know, like, so many people have, quote, solved, and I mean, there's enough good projections out there. Soccer and PGA, yeah. like, you're making soccer projections, and it's not like you could just go out there and Google DFS soccer projections and just pick up a, oh, this is pretty good. Right, like it really, since it's not as popular, people don't focus on it. Yet on all these right. major sports, you're less likely. Or do you think this? Do you think you're less likely to build better projections in the three major American sports that have more liquidity on DraftKings? That it, you just find it like it's you're not going to get enough of an edge there. So yeah, about the future. 
I think firstly with, with soccer DFS, as, as you alluded to earlier in this chat, it doesn't seem like the ecosystem's growing. If anything, it, it's regressing. Hopefully it's plateaued now. Um, but one of the reasons for doing all of this in, in a coding way, um, rather than say like a more mental model manual way is so that in order to keep things going, it requires minimal consumption of time in order to continue trading socket DFS, we can hopefully just rewrite the code and update our projections each week. And so time is really just spent on the trading front. Uh, and uh, that's really only, you know, a couple of hours a slate, something like that. And then the question then is, okay, so what do we do with that extra time that's now freed up by us no longer really focusing on, on socket DFS? Yeah, we, we definitely have thought about the other or the, the three big US sports. Um, but neither of us really know much about them. And that's not a great reason in itself. Um, it would require us to trade at weird times as well, because we're UK based. And stay, you know, it's not a great like lifestyle thing to stay up that late to do all the trading. And I think three or four years ago, golf, golf jumped out to us as a sport we both knew a little bit about. Uh, we could use some of the same coding, um, some of the same skills that we built from Soccer DFS to apply it to that. And we just naturally got sucked into golf, I think. And Originally, we didn't think it would like it was going to be a very big project in, before we got profitable, but then we realized it really was going to be a big project before we became profitable. And so it gradually consumed more and more of our time. We focused more and more resources there. But once we kind of got that to a stage that we were happy with, we realized what we built, we could then start applying to more conventional sports betting markets as well which is ultimately what we'd always hoped to kind of get into. <clears throat> we saw DFS initially really is just a, a stepping stone into more liquid, bigger sports betting markets. And moving from golf DFS into golf sports betting seemed like the, the best. And by best, I guess I mean uh, most, you know, the, the smallest step really like it, solving golf DFS, what it took to try and get profitable in golf DFS, um, ended up giving us a product that didn't require a very big step to then actually become a profitable golf sports better as well. So that's pretty much where we are now. And both soccer and golf are big enough markets that there's not really a need to I mean, the question is, do we expand into more DFS markets or do we expand out in the sports of golf and soccer into other markets outside of DFS, right? Like where is, where is the expansion going to come? And I think there's so many opportunities to bet soccer and bet golf uh, that we don't currently model that wouldn't require a huge step from our existing code, from our existing skills and infrastructure, that it would make more sense in terms of the juice and the squeeze again to apply our time and resources there rather than launching into a whole new sport like NBA or NFL.
But I think that highlights the differences between, like, our our just approaches to this in particular. Like, to mm. me, I, I have very little interest in sports betting. I used to be part of a small syndicate a long time ago. I mean, long, long, 2005-ish, uh, which was more about basically arbitrage, just basically betting yeah. both sides and capturing the money in between. So it didn't involve... It just involved knowing, but this 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 comes back to the philosophy of, of like how I view DFS and how we're different, is that mm. like how I made money in sports betting back then is you're exploiting the public, you're exploiting like if I could figure out what books move what lines at what time based on action, I could capture early here, late there, get money in mm -hmm. between, mm -hmm. and just pot and just as long as. The hardest part was moving the money around, right? And getting the money down. Like, that's that's always the hardest part of, like, you, you don't want to bet on the same book that, like, the line moved because then they view you as, you know, you're trying to fucking steal mm -hmm. from them even though, it's like, mm -hmm. if you're going to take my bet, you can take the other person's bet, whatever. That's a whole nother subject. Uh, but, like, I don't want to get into sports betting. I want sports betting to turn into DFS. I want, I'm thinking that at some point there will be DFS 2.0, which would be more like, like the classic one would be like the Westgate Super Contest, where it could just be, it's a $5 GPP, it's the Millie Maker, right? $20 entry, and you have to pick, you know, 14 over-under slash spread bets, right? And compile, uh, you know, maybe six bets on a card or an eight-bet card, you know, like, it sounds like a DFS game, right? You're just no salary or anything mm -hmm. even. It's just like whatever. And then you look, oh, the Vikings are a 15-point favorite over whatever. And then I could go, well, based on that, how many people are going to pick the Vikings? Is that the proper frequency that they should be picked on these cards? Mm -hmm. And is the underdog not going to be picked enough? And how can I maximize my chance of winning? And then they have a payout structure just like DFS. Like I'm more inclined to wait for like, I'm going to play DFS. And there's going to be some of the, they're going to get these prize picks and monkey knife fight. Like they're trying to come out with little type of games. They're, the, the hold is ridiculous. You shouldn't be playing them. Uh, and I'm a fence. I want the peer to peer. Cause like how I, you're viewing it from a very like computer science driven, like we're going to build a system that is going to be better at these numbers than the books, than the public, then, mm. and we're going to take, we're going to take our edge from that. And I'm viewing it from a perspective of, I'm never going to build that system, but I can figure out what mistakes everyone else is going to make. And as long as they're making mistakes, I'll be there where the platform does not care. Now, they're not going to limit me. They're not. I'm not going to have to worry about getting money down. Like, they're going to take mm -hmm. their 15% break or whatever the hell it is, and then let me beat the shit out of someone else at some betting game that they're like, oh, I got to pick the Cowboys and the over because... You know, go boy, they're from Texas or something. And I go, okay, here's the best mean projection, whatever. There you go. And I, I'm going to win 62% of the time. We'll move on to the next one. And then play GPPs like that. Like, th that product doesn't necessarily exist yet. But, like, from you, you would understand from my perspective of how I play DFS that that would appeal so much more to me, the peer-to-peer -peer type of stuff. And in talking to you for the past hour, I understand much more now that like you view this as so much more of like, like 
just you're tra- setting up a stock trading system of just like, like mm-hmm. nope, just get the get the. I just want to have the best numbers, and plug it in. And if I get a two point seven percent ROI, whatever, just you just put, you just take your ATM card. You just oh, we put money in, we get this much out, and you keep on creating. A, and it doesn't matter who's playing the game, who's betting on anything. It's like when the number hits here, you bet that. When the number hits there, you bet mm-hmm. that. And then you just you think you could bet, build a better system than others like it's shown that in soccer dfs you can but it's just weird that we both play the same game on DraftKings for the past seven years and like almost come at come at this problem from like the complete opposite sides yeah yeah no i i think um what you described there about like dfs 2.0 is really interesting as well and i hope i hope things move in that direction because i think it would be fun um, but if, if those kind of competitions are going to require me to fly to, you know, <laughs> Nebraska or f- fly to Nevada to register and I have to be there and, you know, it's only like one entry per person and, um, it's going to be hard for me to write it into code. And, you know, I, that to me just doesn't seem as desirable, right? Because no, but I I'm talking about, I'm talking about the regular I DFS. solve that problem. Right, but I'm talking about the regular DFS content. Like, it would be the picture soccer DFS, picture uh, mm. soccer DFS, and instead of eight roster slots for players, we have five games, and it's like, you have to pick six, you know, bets, essentially. Pick the money line, yeah, pick three no, months. Yeah, like, that, that would be really interesting. Yeah. Right. But no one's done that yet, right? Like, and why not? I don't know. You know well, there is a site, No House in... No house advantage has games like that. The liquidity there sucks, but okay. they they have. Okay. I mean, it's not a good name of a site, but I I've seen what they what they're doing. They're only available here in the U.S. I believe, and maybe some in Canada, in a couple of states, in like some states they're banned and whatever. It's the whole U.S. Mm. DFS gambling laws and everything here. But they're trying to put together, like they're making those type those types of games. I'm waiting for a bigger pl- I'm waiting for 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 especially the US companies to expand they finally get they finally get into Texas and California, New York and every like everywhere where now they're done with you know getting it be legal everywhere that they could just go okay well now how do we expand our offerings and mm. it's much easier from probably on the back end technically to not have DFS operations and just like, well, we already have everything. We already have, you know, SB tech or, you know, obviously there can be books or whatever. We already have the tech that makes all the lines. It's like, why don't we just every day in the morning or the night before we, when the lines open, we create all these type of like betting contests where you could, and the biggest attraction of DFS, we know amongst casual players, put in a little to win a lot of money. That's why you see all these, Mm -hmm. People with same game parlays and twelve leg whatevers, and it's like, oh, I want to take three dollars and win three thousand. It's like, well, what other way in sports betting can you really do that, other than making these absurd parlays that the book keeps fifty eight percent of the money on or whatever? Yeah. Uh, well, how about when they just take fifteen percent rake? You put in five bucks, you could win fifty thousand if. You beat all the other people at whatever combination of bets you put. It's the same bets. 
You know, oh, the over on rebounds here and the under, you know, on some basketball slate. It's pretty much DFS. And it's easier to play than DFS because there's no salary. It could be a game with no salaries. It's a, And it's a game that they already have all the lines made. I mean, like the DraftKings, like they don't need people to really do it. I just, it, to me, it seems almost like an inevitability because it satisfies like the two main things. The operations is easy and it allows you to market. Do you want to turn 10 bucks into a million dollars? Like, like to me, it seems, I, I just, you just have to wait for it to happen. And hopefully the standard DFS game doesn't die by then. That like, yeah. it's kind of weird. Like I'm looking in of like into something that doesn't exist going, I'm going to focus on this peer to peer stuff as much as possible so that when that happens, I could be the king of that. And you're looking and going like, like I'm going to take everything I've learned from DFS. And now there's this big sports betting market with billions of dollars at yeah. play. It's like, I'm going to take my little black box and I'm going to go out and try to take as much money as possible. And to me, I view your path to be much scarier than my path. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I think I probably do as well. But yeah, I, I, I believe, well, we, you know, we just, we're capable of doing it. We just have to keep going, right? And, and gradually take on harder and harder tasks. But Jordan, I think um, also a lot of our sports betting stuff is peer-to-peer -peer as well. Right, like, you know, you've got these betting exchanges, which are not big in the US yet, but they are big in the UK. And a lot of our golf action is just being matched with other people that want to take the other side of a Rory top five bet, you know, this kind of thing. So it's not where, where companies like Betfair, they just take a percentage of the profit or the turnover, or they do it in lots of different ways. They find, you know, just like the tax man, they find lots of creative ways to take a little bit small slices of the cake here and there, but it's the same idea, right? They're just matching two people together and then taking a, a rake off the bet. And But do you but really think, think the exchange I do you, either. Do you really think the exchange model like the the thing that the exchange model, you need a lot of liquidity, especially here in the US market. If they especially if they like 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 fence off states yeah. and stuff. But it still doesn't offer the second thing. Like to me, the most important part is: can someone bet ten dollars and win a million dollars, or twenty bucks? So it can, like that millie maker on DraftKings. Like that is what people think of. I talk to a casual person. You say DraftKings, and they they play once in a while. It's like, yeah, it's the site that you can put put in twenty bucks. And did have you won the million yet? Like that. It's like. That's what they view it. It's not what we play in double, the 25 into 50 and 10 into 18 for a head-to-head -head type of thing. So I view the exchange model as that type of, oh, I want to bet plus 180 on this. What Like, like that's not what I'm yeah. thinking of the casual better. is like they're putting, I can tell you, they're putting together eight-leg parlays. It's going to be tough, tough for you to grind on that stuff, though, where the payouts are so top heavy, right? But I guess that's what you've been doing for the last seven years. So you're used to it and you have the bankroll for it. Right. Well, you did the same type of payout structure. You do that. Maybe it's not the Millie Maker, but on, an, on a, ba why can't on a baseball day, today's Major League Baseball, right? And it's like, well, here's your, what's your betting card of eight bets? 10 bucks mm. and they have smaller, you don't need to have, and they, obviously I could put in 150 betting cards. I mean, we could just, it, it's the same thing as DFS. Just, I view it as simpler because they could just teach people what sports betting. It's like, 
oh, you're going to bet uh, uh, Chiefs minus seven. Like, you don't have to say, well, the Chiefs defense is 2300 If you want to roster Patrick Mahomes, he's this price. And then you have to put, like, they're, they're done. It's just like, I just want to bet the Chiefs in the over. And I want to bet a couple of other things. And I want to be able to uh, turn $20 into a lot of money. Doesn't have to be a million, but 10000 or something like that. And that's their form of entertainment. Like, why not Why not have that that game? They already know the bets that... I want to bet the over on this and the under on that and the total and over a hundred rushing yards for this. And like, you just, it's essentially DFS. It's just, instead of the players, it's just a bunch of bets. And then all I have to do is figure out what is the public, who is the public going to put in their, in their cards more than others. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I hope it works out. Um, You don't sound that confident. I can see it being popular. (laughs) No, well, you know, like these things take time. That's right. the problem, right? And another, another, uh, another reason that we haven't doubled down on DFS and maybe gone into other sports is because it's a risk to have, just like any company, right? If if your if all of your money is coming from one client, right? If all of your money is coming from one market, we, we've seen DraftKings have just closed shop in Australia, right? Mm-hmm. Last year or something. If they did that in the UK. That would be a big problem for us, right? Like that's almost, that would then be, if we hadn't diversified into other markets, that would then be a hundred percent of our profit, of our revenue just gone. Right. Didn't, didn't fan, didn't, did that happen with FanDuel with you guys, right? Yeah. But now, now FanDuel, uh, they've reopened through Paddy Power in the UK. Okay. Right. But it did. No, you're right. And it could, it could happen again and it could happen with DraftKings. And so we don't really want to leave ourselves in that kind of position, right? We are approaching this, as you probably kind of sensed in this call, I think, Jordan, like we're trying to approach this a bit like a business, right? We're, we're trying to build something long-term here and, and gradually grow each year and also start to bring in people to help us. Um, and, and yeah, hopefully we have something really great in 10 more years, you know? So, if, if we did just have all our revenue come from DraftKings, it, it would seem like a very, it, the Kelly would not be happy, right? right. Like the <laughs> Kelly bet would, would, would disapprove strongly. And so we've tried to diversify a bit for that reason. There's also the difference that in, in, in the sports betting markets or in the, in the space that DFS, there's no such really, there's not, well, I'll put this lightly. There's really no such thing as a syndicate in DFS. There could be. It just would be against the terms of service, right, to do so. I don't even know. What is a syndicate? How would you define a syndicate? Well, if you want to play for more like 300 lineups, if you want to collude in three-mans, if you like, if you're, okay, if, so you're that, if you're using a shared so bankroll amongst multi-accounting, right. Syndicate. Yeah. I would consider so that to be... Shared bankroll across... Shared accounts, right. basically, is what a syndicate is. I would okay. consider that. Whereas be. in our case, we are shared bankroll in one account, which is not a syndicate. Right, that, that you're just playing as that one function. user. That's fine. Because yeah. there's no strat. Because you could you could have what you could have seven backers, twenty backers. It's still only your play can only be through one account. So there's strategically there's nothing that it negatively affects me based on. I don't care mm. how many ways you guys split it up. Doesn't matter to me, but if I'm in if I'm in a an eleven man double up against four of your accounts, like there's a strategic 
advantage that you have. Like, there has to be, right? Now it diminishes over, like, how many... How much of an edge do you have that you're going to put in multiple entries into 11-man double-up? That's a different That's a different story. Mm. But, like, in sports betting, on the other hand, you have part... Like, you, you could have partners. You could have... I mean, like, you could, you, you could expand to different sports and different markets, different... You could have... You could have 30 yeah. allies. You could have... You could obviously, you know, people, you know, give you accounts. You could share action. You could fake out the market. I mean, there are obviously people that, you know help each other fake out books and this book copies that line. I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole bit. Like, that's what it's saying. Like I, 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 I know how all that works. That's and that's the main reason, Will, why I don't want to get involved. That's like, to me, that's the, that's mm. the, like, well, I just want to play fair, against people. Kind of I, I, of sports betting. I, I don't really want to get involved with either. Right. Like uh, all this, you know, faking out stuff and having, multi-accounts it's it's very profitable i imagine right like it's it's a good way to earn a living but it's not why i've got into sports betting right it's not what makes me tick like i just like writing better code right i like coming up with better projections and the more i can focus on that the, the i think the happier i am yeah but isn't but the hardest part is not necessarily beating the market it's about about getting the money down I know. So, I know. So, but, but I think that, that's one thing as a business. If we are a business, I think that's one thing as a, as a business that we suck at right now, right? Like, people have talked about the three edges of, of sports betting, more or less, like, or well, the three ways to be the three main ingredients of sports betting. The one one is having good data or better data, mm -hmm. right? Like, if you if you have better data than other people, that's an edge. Two is analyzing that data better than other people. Right, that's an edge, and then three is trading that analysis better than other people. Right, right, and I think right now we're probably pretty good at one and two, but not that good at, at number three. Yeah, but and three, three is three is the that. shitty. But that, but that's the reason why I don't like it. That's to me, I'm more on your side on this. Is like, I'd like to just be able to do one and two, and just be able to just mm. like bet and let the market decide and. If I'm right, I'm right. I might make more money. If I'm wrong, yeah. I lose money. But the third, that third one is the, what to me makes everything. It's not that it's not that anymore. It's it becomes, it becomes like like oh, I could I could easily beat the market, but good luck getting more than a hundred dollars down, or good luck getting your money in and out over there, and like it it becomes nine from my experience, ninety percent of the work becomes that, and that's I don't find that interesting. I don't find the trading aspect to be the interesting part. I want to solve the, the problem. I want to go, yeah, this line should be minus 162 and uh, it's, it's, it's minus 135, right? Let me get, let, here's a thousand bucks, right? I mean, like, and then place enough of those bets and, and at the end of the year, I get X amount of money. I mean, like, to me, that's the interesting part. But when yeah. every, like, to me, it would yeah. be, so, it would be so stressful if, if, like you said, with diversified income streams, if I just was doing sports betting, obviously if it was legal here, of course it's offshore, you could, I mean, whatever. Uh, it would be so stressful to me. Like you said, DraftKings should just pull out of UK. Well, I view that the same as as having accounts at, at sports books of like, you may be doing great and next thing you know, you'd like, like half your accounts get 
limited or like, mm. oh yeah, I get, I, I'll put uh, 5,000 here, 3,000 there, 10,000 there. And then tomorrow it's like, oh, guy, I found three uh, good MLB lines. And it's like, uh, we have to prove you for anything more than $37. And it's like, and then you go to another book. It's like, we got to, got to prove you more than $16. And then you go to another, and then next thing you know, you're just sitting there going, well, what do I do for a living now? I better have, I better have partners. Yeah. I better got like, and then it just, it just seems to me at least that it becomes a cycle of like, you almost need to have a, a person as part of your business that that's all they do is find partners, sure. find no, accounts do. and, and do that's that. It's a big part of the business. Yeah. It's a big part of the business. And some people are really good at it. Right. And some people enjoy the, the hustle of that side of it, I think. And they, they have the street smartness to really operate in in that area. It's just not for me, and it sounds like it's not for you as well. No, it's just a pain in the ass. I I also also yeah. will I don't like people, so that 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 hurts. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Like I haven't yeah. like, like I'm I'm the type of person. I think, I think that hurts in pretty much any industry though, but perhaps sports betting less than others. Right. I I think a better way to put it is that I hate having to rely on other people. Yeah, I think that's a better way of like yeah. I, I think you probably you could probably agree that with your, your projections and playing DFS that like, when you know that it's like if you do the work and you do the code and you put in the lineups and everything like that, it's like, I I have no problem putting in bad lineups, completely fucking up and going yeah I fucked up and I got and I got to get better. But it's it's worse when it's like you didn't fuck up. It's because someone that you trusted in fucked up, mm. and it's like, I think in terms of well, if I just did it myself, it wouldn't have happened. So like, so why do I need the other person? Like, and and mm-hmm. that trust issue of obviously you have a partner that you do trust, which is which is great. But mm-hmm. in in this type of lifestyle, it almost feels like most DFS players play as sole individuals where they do all of the work because it's like it's my black box and I don't see how anyone else could understand it as much as I can and as long as I have the time why shouldn't it be just me doing everything and the detriment in that is that we see a lot of sharp players I I, I give advice to, to newer players to play on some of the smaller sites because at least once a week on Yahoo or Super Draft or something like that for NBA or MLB, that someone will say, yeah, someone's li- someone put 150 of the same dummy lineup in, like a sharp player. And it's like, it's like no, they, 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 they didn't do that. And they're asking, someone's asking me, did they do that strategically? I go, no, they, they, they were working on FanDuel and DraftKings and lock hit before they got to fucking Yahoo. Because they only have five thousand dollars of volume on Yahoo, and they have fifty thousand on the other sites, so that just happened to get cut out. So it's like, mm-hmm. like, and these are people trying to do it as one. And they're playing all the slates, all the things, turbo slates, and all that type of stuff. But I could see that from a from a like a personality trait, like I'd probably I'd probably be the same fucking. I'd be like, I'd rather just forget about because I've done that before. I've I've literally done that before trying to play on two three sites. Put together all my lineups of DraftKings for a basketball slate and go, okay, I'm done. Right? Two minutes before lock, I'm good, whatever. And then lock hits and I go, you know, okay, I'm gonna go to the bathroom, whatever, and I go, oh shit, I have 150 lineups of Vandal I forgot to do. Right? I just completely forgot about it. (laughs) 
Yeah, in, uh, that's happened to me in real life. It also happens to me about once every month in my dreams or nightmares as well. <laughs> right? I've had so many, honestly, I've had like nightmares where it's like I've forgotten to edit my lineups before lot. It's crazy. Do you at least put a dummy lineup that would be reasonable? So like maybe a min cash? Could like, usually. Okay. Because yeah, some people don't yeah. do, So I, I've, I've had people say to me, you know, like, oh my God, I forgot to edit my seat. Like I've, and I, I go, you didn't, you didn't put in like a, a lineup that, or like, like in MLB or NBA, like what you do in MLB is if you're going to make a dummy lineup just to enter contests, like put in, like stack the latest game. So it's like, at oh, least yeah. if you miss luck, like you have all the games up until mm. you can't, the three games that just lock, you can't play, but at least you could create some type of correlated lineup with what's mm. remaining or in the NBA, like it's a later but if not, if you don't do that, like in soccer, like the first thing I like is, is this, is this really, really nitpicky that the first thing I do in soccer at an hour before lock, once all the lineups come starting lineups come in is that I open up my main, like my main lineup, my cash lineup or whatever. And, uh, even if I haven't decided on anyone to play, like, I'll just make sure that all the, all, all the guys that I currently have in are starting. And if anyone's not, I just yeah. make sure that all the check marks are there just in case, you know, an hour from now, I, for some odd reason, I miss something or whatever that I'm not stuck with fucking, you know, backup forward or something that's not going to play. Yeah. Um, no, I think we're more likely just if the code is all broken, then 10 minutes before kickoff, we just do that, right? We, we then go and manually edit the most important lineups. Oh, has that, has that happened before? Code breaking, yeah, I think so. Maybe a couple of times. Uh, we we've actually had an issue this last week with with database stuff, but um, thankfully that didn't result in us kind of making any big trading mistakes. It just meant that we couldn't trade for a while. But we have had a few nightmares in the hour before kickoff, I think, as well, where stuff is is just breaking. But usually we can fix it, right? There's nothing like a like a 10 minutes till kickoff time pressure to like force the best out of you as a coder, like force you to think clearly and, and, and just uh, figure out what the problem is and rectify it as quickly as possible. Uh, this brings up something. This is that last question before, before you get out of here. I, I, sure. I things in my mind talking about strategy that I noticed about things that you've changed. If you want to call it strategy, yeah. like it's weird to call it strategy with what you do. I probably won't. You'll. Know, this will be the first I've heard of this change of strategy. Probably. Okay, no, but I, I, I think no, I think this is something that would have to be more deliberate. Uh, okay. One thing I've, I've noticed. I don't know if I noticed it immediately, or at some point, but in the past, if we go back seven years, your main lineup, your main what if you want to call it a cash lineup, would be in like everything. So you'd be you'd be in all the double ups, all the head to head. Like if I checked my head to heads and I checked the double ups and I checked the triple ups and I checked the single entry twelve dollar whatever, it would be the same exact lineup. Now mm -hmm. most mm -hmm. cash players do that, okay. And I've always said to players that want to exploit that is that you should technically be building different lineups for different payout structure type of contests. So, like, if you knew that everyone was playing their double-up lineup in a triple-up, you would purposely play a different 2v2 so that when you win, you win double off of your opponents 
when you normally would have only won once because you know your opponents are playing that same lineup most likely, mm-hmm. right? So strategically in quintuple ups or single entry, whatever, uh, in the past year or so, you are doing that. You're playing different lineups in three-man contests versus in double ups versus in... Because I'll notice that because I'll go into different contests and see... Like, oh, Sarah, oh, I'm beating Sarah Mick by 20 points and then this $50 11-man double up and then go into to, to a three-man and you're beating me, right? In a, yeah. in a, right? I think, um, yeah, double ups and 50-50 should be the same always, I think. Um, triple ups will be slightly different. Quintuple ups will be slightly different. It's just a question of like how much we tweak that variance parameter, right? But you, but you, uh, but, but, but you're answering the question that you actively are doing that, while most of the yeah. lobby doesn't do that. Right, and okay, and then, but sometimes even when we tweak the variance parameter, the the optimizer will still like the same lineups of fifty fifty and triple ups, right? It's mm-hmm. not like we purposefully always have a different triple up mm-hmm. lineup and a fifty fifty lineup for like variance you know to smooth out our swings or anything like that um it's just there are slightly different settings for for every contest pretty much based on how high up the leaderboard you need to finish in order to get a decent payoff right so so the, the way that you're calculating lineups for the large field 18 dollar, 10 dollar, whatever the hell it is is different mm. than the 275 68 man or the you know, the king of the pitch or whatever, like it's, so you're actively, pretty much. so you're actively catering the lineups to contests. Correct. Yeah. And we do that even more in golf than we do in, in soccer. Well, I could, t- I could tell you from, uh, from experience that in golf, you're one of the few that I, I would consider, I would consider that to be a considerable edge in golf. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know yeah, if you I mean, view. I don't know if you view it that way. What was the question? Well, it, it, we do. Initially, we viewed golf and soccer very similarly, and then we realized that was a that was costing us a lot more than we had originally thought. Right, like game theory just seems so important in golf. Um, I think partly it's because the salaries are so closely tied to their true projection mm. that. No one's really a bad pick. So you in GPP, you really need to find the people that are lower, right? Because you're not going to be giving up that many points by doing that. And you're going to get the benefit of of doing well when other people are doing badly if you're fading the most popular players. Right, but the thing that I'm um, talking about, Will, is that like mm. sharper multi-entry players, if you want to call them sharper, but like profitable, they may be profitable in mm-hmm. other sports or whatever, a lot of times what they're doing for, and it's mostly for time efficiency stakes is they're building 150 lineups. So they're building 150 yeah. lineups for the largest, the drive to the green, whatever contest, yeah. you know, the largest field contest. Right. And, but they're not, they're just building 150 geared towards that contest and then putting yeah. like their highest projected one into the single entries and the top three yeah. into the three, like, and it's yeah. still 150 lineups yeah, that are built. That. No. Right. That, well, that's what I'm saying that yeah. you're not doing that, but a lot. So you're playing a lot of lineups in the non large field contests that are really, they were created for 
large field ownership and like it was all for that. And they're mm. most most of the people that I talk to that do simulations, they run their own systems, their own little black boxes, uh, do it like the way that you're doing it is the correct way of doing it. They're just the juice isn't worth the squeeze type of thing from their perspective of mm. where they're playing so much volume, so much everywhere. They believe there are 150 lineups or plus EV, no matter what contest it is, even though it's not the most profitable for the single entry high stakes contest. It's just so much easier for them to just make 150 set and then just put the top own top projected top, whatever way that, mm. that the least leverage yeah. lineup up there but I've always I've always said that like the the ownership of these contests are different, right? You chalk gets chalkier in the in the in the smaller field, higher stakes contests. That it mathematically it doesn't make any sense that mm -hmm. the lineups that would be the highest EV in the 150 max large field could be considerably negative EV, given the fact that you know now you, all of a sudden you're playing three golfers that are 58% owned in a, mm. in a hundred man contest. And it's like, it's, it's 150 plus mm. person. It's a, it's a cut event. It's a full field. Like, should any golfer be that owned? I mean, like that, that yeah, seems I, astonishing. I, I, yeah. And I think that counter to that would be, you're right from a mathematical perspective, but it's just the difference isn't big enough to justify rebuilding all those lineups. Right. And I think I would have agreed with them a year ago but now I'm starting to realize that actually the difference in EV is actually big enough, right? The difference in your bottom line in catering every lineup to every contest pretty much that you're entering is actually worth it. And at least with golf, unlike soccer, you have plenty of time to build your lineups, mm. right? Barring some late withdrawal, you, you know, you've got hours really to, to run everything. So it's probably worth it. The juice well, probably is worth the squeeze in that situation. Well, Jordan, I'm, I got to go. I'm sorry. No I'm, problem. I'm running out of time here, but I'm 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 happy to do this again. Um, it seems like we have a lot to catch up on in terms of the last seven years of DFS, and <laughs> it is it is enjoyable to reminisce and to talk it through with with someone sharp like yourself. Well, I'm I'm glad to have the conversation. I'm sure a lot of soccer DFS players would be interested to to hear about this conversation. Though uh, people can follow you. At Saramek21 on Twitter. Yeah, they can. And as always, you can get the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports 15-hour audio DFS masterclass at theoryofdfs.com.